0: I'm going to read the Bible today. I'll give you a chance to open the Bibles in front of you to John one one to eighteen. While you're doing that, I'll just pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the Word, and I pray now that the Holy Spirit will open our hearts and our minds to what is before us. Amen. The Word became flesh. In the beginning, the Word in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that had been, has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness does, has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He cries out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace we have received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and the only who is at the Father's side has made him known.
1: Uh, thanks so much Trish and uh, Happy New Year from me. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Andrew Graham. I'm one of the ministers here at St. Matthew's. And thank you Trish for that reading. It's uh, such a great way to start the year. I'm not going to be preaching through that whole passage but we're using it to launch this little series uh, that we're planning over the next month or so. We're going to be looking at some big questions. Big questions this month. One of them is, can I be confident that I am on good terms with my Maker and my Judge? Can I be confident that I'm on good terms with God Himself? Another question, a different kind of question. Is there there anything I can do about the unwelcome urges I find welling up within myself and expressing themselves in behaviours that are damaging to other people and myself? especially when there've been habits that I'm finding hard to break. Is there a better strategy than a big New Year's resolution? Is it possible I could make progress on that this year? Another kind of question, a big question for many of us, I think, is, is there more to life than the daily grind and whatever fun I can kind of squeeze in around that? Is there more to life than that? Is it possible that by the end of this year, I could look back and I could say, I've done something worthwhile this year. It's been a good year. I've done something that's made a big difference. This month, we're exploring a little two-word phrase, which has the potential to unlock really helpful answers to questions like that about confidence before God, about breaking unhelpful habits, uh, about about doing things that are worthwhile. It's a little phrase, two words, which is the title for this series, In Him, In Him, In Christ, In Christ, In Him. Uh, Rory Shiner, whose little book, One Eternally, really um, prompted this series, uh, says that in him in christ is found almost everywhere in the writings of the apostle paul but almost nowhere in our churches today it's not just the apostle paul uh, the lord jesus says later on in john's gospel i am in my father and i am in you and you are in me that's a way in which jesus describes his disciples You are in me. We are in him if we are disciples of Jesus. It's an intriguing phrase, isn't it? In him. It might even sound a little ethereal and kind of hard to grasp hold of. But in him is a phrase which is really well grounded in the very nature of our personal relationship with God. And it has the potential, if we can really grapple with it and get hold of what it means, to transform the way we live in the world, to give us new confidence, to free us from anxieties we just don't need to live with. I think it's a bit like one of those functions on your phone, you know, one of the apps there. You know it's there, but you really need someone to show you what it can do before you make use of it. In him is a fabulous little phrase which I trust You'll know very well by the end of this month, and it'll already be making a difference for the way that you live. Now, this morning in this new year, we're going to go back to Christmas, back just over a week ago, back to where we remembered that the angel said to the shepherds, Today in the city of David, a Saviour has been born. He is Christ the Lord. Today we're going back to that time where we remember that one of the names associated with Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And with that in mind, we've read this morning from the beginning of John's Gospel. We don't always go there at Christmas time. And I suppose it's because John, instead of drilling down on all the details of what happened when Jesus was born, pans right back so that we can understand what was happening what the big picture is. And that one word that theologians use is the incarnation. That's what was happening. The Word was becoming flesh. God was becoming one of us. John pans back from the detail and listen again to what he says right at the beginning of his Gospel as he describes his best friend, his closest friend. The one whom Jesus described as his closest friend is John. John says of Jesus, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And later on he says, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now when John says the Word became flesh, there's a couple of things that he is not saying. He's not saying, at one point in time, God, the Son, stopped being God and became a human instead. Neither is he saying, God, the Son of God, came and he looked like one of us, but he was just God disguised as a human being. He's saying much more than that. He's certainly writing about someone who is truly human. John knew Jesus personally. (laughs) He saw him eating, (laughs) walking talking, sleeping, making friends. He was truly human. He saw someone who needed to sleep because he got tired. But at the end, near the end of his gospel, he says, I've written these things. This is John chapter 20, verse 31. I've written these things so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, fully human and fully God. Here's a really helpful statement that kind of fills out a little bit what it means that the Word became flesh. It comes from the Westminster Confession back in the 1600s. Quite a compact little statement, but it says so much. Here's the incarnation. God the Son, without ceasing to be God, took into Himself our human nature. God the Son, without ceasing to be God, took into himself our human nature. Now, the incarnation, as you try and get your mind around it, really begins to expand your assumptions about what it means to be God and what it means to be human. I will admit that it would be easy to become distracted by big metaphysical questions about how this could be so. (laughs) But a great insight of John is that he describes what took place as the Word becoming flesh. That is, when Jesus comes, by his life and his words, he speaks to us. In those years that he was amongst us, he was revealing things about God and about us that we could not have otherwise known. So are you surprised that there are surprises about who God is and about... The nature of humanity when the word becomes flesh? Are you surprised that when you learn more about God than when you, when you learn more about ourselves, that there are things you don't fully understand? The big question is not how this happens. The big question really, the practical question is, why does this happen? Why does the word become flesh? I really like what one of the ancient creeds says about this. Again, just in a few words, I think it absolutely nails it. The Nicene Creed, way back in 381 AD, says, For us and for our salvation, he became man. This is describing Jesus, the Son of God. For us and for our salvation, he became man. So the word does not become flesh to baffle us, with how one person could in themselves be fully God and fully man. He comes for the sake of our salvation. And in the rest of the series, we're going to tease out exactly what that means, especially next week as we explore this phrase, in Him. But for today, what I want to do is highlight three implications of the wondrous reality that the Word became flesh, three implications of the Incarnation. And the first is this, when God the Son becomes one of us, we can know without a doubt that we matter to God. We can know without a doubt that we matter to God. Now I suppose God could have created a world where he became an angel or where he took on the nature of a dolphin. And as as awesome as an angel is, As wonderful as a dolphin is, God chooses to enter our world as one of us. He chooses to become a human being, to take humanity into his nature. And at the point that he does that, he confirms his commitment to us. He doesn't abandon the project of being human. He affirms his love for us by going to great lengths to restore us to himself. This is the first implication, we matter to God. By way of contrast, just consider where where thoroughgoing atheism leaves you in its view of humanity. This is how Professor Alex Rosenberg, who teaches philosophy at Duke University in the US, addresses a series of questions in his book Uh, The Atheist's Guide to Reality, Enjoying Life Without Illusions. Here's Alex Rosenberg on The Atheist. Is there a God? Well, by definition in atheism, no. What is the nature of reality? I think he's being a bit provocative here, but he says what physics says it is. What is the purpose of the universe? There is none. What is the meaning of life? There is none. Why am I here? Just dumb luck. It's a bleak view of humanity, isn't it? But the story of Jesus shows that it's completely mistaken about who we are and how much we matter to God. When the the Word who is God makes his dwelling among us, he shows in those few short years that he was among us in the flesh more than we would ever discover through the study of physics and biology and psychology and philosophy more than anything that they have been able to discover what we see as we watch Jesus is we see the word who is God dwelling among us what we see is that God is there That God cares for us. Out of all of this this magnificent and broken creation, he cares for us. We matter to God. So every human life is precious to God. From the unborn child to the person just taking their last breath. You matter to God. The person sitting next to you matters to God. That person that, that really troubles you, that you have a difficult relationship with, that may have even hurt and harmed you, they matter to God. See, that the Word became flesh, that God becomes one of us, it has massive implications for how we see ourselves and how we see other people. We matter to God. But before we get too flattered by that wondrous reality, we need to move on from that first implication of the Incarnation to a second one. Let's also note that God becoming one of us means that something is seriously wrong with our our race, with the human race. We matter to God, but we need redemption. We need redemption. Uh, Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy and in Romans. He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. In the likeness of sinful flesh, he came. So we are are damaged goods. Our our flesh, who we are, is sinful. There's something wrong here. And here's what it is. We, We have wondrously been made in God's image We are capable of immense good. We are capable of doing God-like things. We are made in His image. But somehow, we come to think that the good God who lovingly made us is not to be trusted. And so, we like sheep have gone astray. That's what the prophet Isaiah said two and a half thousand years ago. We, like sheep, have just wandered away. Each of us has turned to his own way. We, we wander off convinced that we have a better way. We have a better way. Some of us do it, shaking our fists at God. Others, we stop taking his calls. We, we block his number. We just get on quietly, living lives the way we want to, Without God having to interfere with the way we live. Now there's a very strong, very strong narrative in Western culture that endorses this way of life and reinforces it. Uh, This narrative drives the stories that entertain us on our screens and is modelled by our heroes. See, they live the dream that they've discovered within themselves and And they somehow find within themselves the the resources to achieve their dreams. They refuse to let anyone else tell them what to do or that they can't do it. They find within themselves the resources to realise their own dreams. So often this is what entertains us. So often the people who tell these stories, we almost worship. But there's a view of individual freedom that drives that narrative, that that is so basic to our culture that we almost barely notice. But it's a breathtaking position to take, isn't it? That that I can ignore God, That, that I can make myself who I am, that I've got what I have through my own hard work. I effectively become a little God who rules my own little world and I ignore the powerful God who made me. And what happens is I find myself fighting against the foundation of everything that is good and pure and true. Now the size of a problem like this can be measured by how much it takes to put it right. And this problem could only be addressed by the Son of God becoming one of us, by the Word becoming flesh. J.C. Ryle says, Our sin must be far more abominable to God than most of us suppose. Judging by the size of the solution that God brings as He sends His Son. So, when we hear that the Word has become flesh, when we realize that was what was taking place at that first Christmas, we know firstly that we we matter to God. We know secondly that we need redemption. And next week we're going to hear about how that's provided and how much of a difference that makes. But thirdly, and I'll be very brief on this, we can actually become part of a new humanity. A new humanity. Jesus creates a new humanity when he becomes one of us. As he becomes one of us, as he dies as one of us, as he rises as one of us, as he returns to the Father, he returns as one of us. He takes with himself, with himself, he takes his humanity. He takes his humanity with him to the Father. He returns to the Father and he shows what we were meant to be. He shows what our destiny can be. Our future is to be transformed to be like him. We can be a part of a, this new humanity, a humanity 2.0, if you like, with all the bugs fixed and with some extra wonderful new features. It's an exciting thing that Jesus does and offers for us, that even in this life we can become a part of that new humanity in Him. And that's something I'm I'm really looking forward to us exploring on the last week of this little series, uh, three weeks from today. See, brothers and sisters, Jesus is the realisation of our destiny. To be one with the Father in our eternal home. When you look at Jesus today, you're looking at our future in him. We matter to God. Christ has redeemed us so that in him we might be one with the Father like he is one with the Father. Let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your plan from the beginning of time that your, sh- your son should become one of us, that we might become one with you. We're so thankful that we matter to you, that we are so loved by you. We pray that as this first month of the year unfolds, you will enlarge our hearts and minds to fully grasp the transforming wonder of your goodness to us, in Christ. Amen. Well friends, today has just been a little taster for the meal that's ahead in this next month as we dig into what it means that we are in him. As we get a chance to find new confidence in Christ, as we get a chance to find resources we may not have been aware of to battle with sin that is still at work in us and finally that we'll see being raised with him now changes everything now gives us purpose now even as we look to spending eternity with our father in heaven amen